Welcome to Smorgasbord, a Jcast Network podcast. This podcast is intended to offer one-off learning opportunities that we think you will enjoy. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. On Thursday, July 26th, Jcast Network host Rabbi Michael Knopf, who hosts The Tish, spoke at a program organized by the Interfaith Center, along with the Reverend Rob McClellan of the Tabernacle United Church. Both clergy reflected on their thoughts after experiencing the Dead Sea Scrolls currently on display at the Philadelphia's Franklin Institute. Rabbi Michael Knopf explains how the scrolls can inspire us to strengthen today's Jewish community to be better Jews and to work with and learn from other traditions. Thank you, Nicole, and thank you, Rabbi, um, not just for sharing some time tonight, but uh, sharing an experience of the exhibit a couple of weeks ago. It was a real delight to walk. Th- Everybody should walk through this exhibit with a rabbi next to them. <laughs> well, I had a powerful encounter when I first viewed the Dead Sea Scrolls exhibit a couple of weeks ago, as I just mentioned. But it was not the sort of powerful encounter that I anticipated sort of hurried through the earlier contextual pieces, eager to get to the text themselves. And when I got there, I found myself sort of waiting in line to see some of the pieces. And I noticed a woman assisting who I surmised was her elderly mother, assisting her to get to the text and to look at them herself. And our eyes met, and in a moment that I won't forget, and in a voice that won't forget, she said to me, what are you looking at? So it was moving, but in her defense, I probably was staring at her. I don't know why. I don't know if it was because something about her seemed different or perhaps something about her seemed kindred to me. Maybe she was just in my way. Or perhaps I thought it was a fulfillment of her mother's wish and I was touched by seeing that moment. But that encounter has continued to unfold for me, and I've begun to recognize some truths that I think were held inside of it. You see, these texts stir us. They stir us to come together, and those stirrings hold some power for each of us, at least for me. Now, maybe I'm reading too much into that event, but I think the encounter with the sacred can put us on edge because of that power, especially when we recognize the diverse claims that others might have on those things which are sacred to us. There's something at stake in that moment. After all, consider how powerful these texts, or texts related to these, or derived from these, have been, and how differently those texts have functioned for different peoples. Whole religious traditions have, been, have seen them as central, or at least important, yet they have grouped them together very differently. Think, for example, of how the Hebrew, Protestant, and Catholic Bibles differ 
simply to name a few. And if you don't know how they differ, tonight turn to someone from another tradition and ask them. Consider how traditions have drawn from these texts in both overlapping and also quite distinct ways. Think of how Judaism, Christianity, and even Islam, not to mention the incredible diversity within each of those traditions, now and throughout history, has drawn on these themes and these characters and these individuals and these texts and stories. And that's not even to mention the actual community where these texts were found, a community that we can only guess has disappeared, that tucked these scrolls away in caves so long ago. So many people have been stirred by these texts. What is it about these ancient words? Well, before I went to seminary, I was a student in rhetoric. And as a rhetorician, you pay a lot of attention to the dynamic nature of the text encounter. And a single word or a phrase or a whole book may stay fixed over generations. In fact, certain religious traditions insist upon this and do everything they can to maintain this. But I would argue that even in the most extreme situations, the context in which a text is encountered does not remain fixed. Think, for example, of a familiar passage or a poem or a song that's meaningful to you and how it means something very different at different moments in your life. Now expand that to many nations and indeed many generations. And moreover, as you saw tonight, perhaps in one moment when you saw the figures of the women that we were told were not to have been made, but were made nonetheless, we're reminded that the way life is lived out is not always in direct, strict accordance to the sacred text. Now, as a clergy person, that's impossible for me to believe, but I'll take it on faith. So here we have this set of texts discovered after all these years, and much of what they say confirms the text that we previously had, but they deviated in some ways as well. So what if the differences had been starker? What would that have done to you? What would that have done to your community? And what new discoveries await in some other cave? And what effects might that have upon your life and tradition? What do words of a distant people have to say to me? I think we all have a desire to get back to the source. And perhaps that's what drew you here. That's what drew me here. But admittedly, I did not have a strong emotional reaction to those texts. I should have known better, because a rabbi once told me, reminded me of how often we get it wrong or miss the point. He said that whenever he teaches confirmation to his students, he says, well, what is the Torah? And they say, law. And he says, yes, it is that, but it is not only that. And they say, stories. And he says, yes, it is that, but it is not only that. They say poetry, yes, but it is not poetry. Well, it's fun. There's always a teacher's pet in any tradition. He says, perhaps it's fun, but it's not only that. He says, the Torah is a collection of relationships between God and creation, between creation and creation. And so somehow, I am connected to that woman who barked at me, Partly 
by my fascination in what fascinated her, in my interest in what interested her. And so now here we are, all of us, stirred to be here for one reason or another, and I hoped I hope stirred to discover what is stirring in someone else. So let our encounters then this evening be a site for discovery all its own. Thank you. So I also uh, want to thank the Interfaith Center for inviting me to come and speak. And I also want to thank uh, my, my partner in crime, uh, uh, Reverend McClellan. Um, it was also really wonderful getting to see this uh, exhibit with you. And I really uh, very much appreciate your uh, statement that uh, it was uh, fun for you to go with a rabbi. As a rabbi, I feel like every rabbi should go with a Presbyterian reverend because <laughs> no one else is quite as interested when I explain Hebrew grammar or calligraphy to them. <laughs> And so it was really a joy. <laughs> I want to start with a text tonight. Not one that you saw in the exhibit, but another text that is perhaps one of my favorites. It's from an ancient writing called the Mishnah, and it reads as follows. Moses received the Torah at Mount Sinai. He passed it to Joshua, and Joshua to the elders, and the elders to the prophets. Hillel and Shammai received it from them. This is how the Mishnah, written around 200 of the common era by the great rabbis of old, describes the chain of the Torah's transmission. God gave the Torah to Moses at Mount Sinai, and for centuries, teachers passed it along to students, unbroken, directly, and unadulterated, down to the rabbis of the Mishnah and the Talmud. The Torah that Hillel and Shammai learned from their teachers and taught to their students, the rabbis, was the same pure and unadulterated Torah that Moses received at Sinai. In this teaching, the rabbis were making a major claim about their authenticity and authority. They argued that to deviate from rabbinic traditions is to deviate from God. Their interpretations of Torah are other interpretations of Torah, excuse me, other interpretations of Torah are unauthorized deviations from the authentic and authoritative Torah of the rabbis. The critical study of Bible has, to put it bluntly, blown this idea out of the water. Two centuries of scholarship has yielded a compelling view of the Bible's origins. And so this brings me to the exhibit that we saw this evening. Tonight, we learned that the Bible was not dropped out of the sky or given fully formed to a man on a mountain in the wilderness some 4,000 years ago. It is instead a compendium of texts, an anthology. Its authorship spans many centuries and involved many individuals. It incorporates disparate and sometimes divergent traditions among various groups of ancient Israelites. 
And if the Bible contains many voices and many traditions, it makes sense that there would be many different approaches to its interpretation. Jews have disagreed about how to read, understand, and live the Bible for at least as long as there has been a Bible. Still happens today, believe it or not. And here's the important thing to remember. None of these traditions were wrong. Sure, some interpretations might have been more compelling than others, but there wasn't, as the rabbis of the Mishnah would have us believe, one authentic Judaism and a whole bunch of deviant sects. Instead, in ancient Israel, there were many approaches to following the Bible, all of them authentic in their own way. But I'm not here tonight as a historian or a biblical scholar, even though I dabble. I'm here as a rabbi. So let me tell you why, as a rabbi, all of this is important to me. First reason is that within the Jewish community, we often fight over which denomination or group has the most authentic approach to Judaism. And as a result, people get hurt. And Judaism and the Jewish community is constantly at risk of crumbling from within. So the fact that there is not, nor has there ever been, one genuine approach to understanding the Torah means that Judaism today should be a big tent. We ought to welcome and celebrate disparate approaches to being Jewish. For this diversity is our very heritage. And second, it means that we Jews ought to remain open to dynamism and change within our own tradition. Though we have a right, and in my opinion a responsibility, to remain loyal to the teachings and traditions of our ancestors, we also have a right and a responsibility to change when a new, more compelling understanding emerges especially when it is more ethical. To remain wedded to a certain interpretation of the Torah, even when people get hurt or killed because of it, is not loyalty to, but in my opinion, a betrayal of God. And finally, and I think most relevant for our group tonight, it opens up the possibility for real interfaith dialogue and cooperation. Many religions, including Judaism, have historically been preoccupied with who is wrong. I don't think I need to remind us of the horrible and violent consequences of this perspective. But what if neither is wrong? The Dead Sea Scrolls remind us that originally Judaism and Christianity were simply different approaches within the same tradition, within the same religious family, and not two different religions, each with its own unique truth claim. Judaism, or more accurately, Rabbinic Judaism, began as an interpretive community in ancient Israel known as the Pharisees, and Christianity began only shortly after as another interpretive tradition known as Jewish Christians 
followers of a charismatic leader named Jesus. Over time, we have diverged, but we have common parentage. And if this is the case, then neither of us is right or authentic. Or if you're a glass half full type, both of us are right and authentic. As Rabbi Brad Hirschfield says, you don't have to be wrong for me to be right. So what if we focused instead on discussing why we find our respective traditions personally compelling rather than trying to prove why we're right? What if we listened to each other? What if we listened to each other share why we prefer our own traditions approach? What if we learned from others? Personally, I find much that is compelling in other traditions. And I feel my Judaism is strengthened because of it. What if we were even open to incorporating insights from other people's traditions into how we understand our own? What kind of world could we build if we saw where we had common ground and we saw where we had common purpose and we worked together to implement those complementary visions. We live in a broken world. Tonight, I'm hopeful that the Dead Sea Scrolls might invite us to piece it back together. Shalom.